Thank you for listening to this interview on Change My Relationship. We hope you will subscribe to these podcasts and share them with your friends. Carla would love to hear from you. She welcomes ideas for future podcasts as well as your feedback on how the podcasts have helped your life and relationships. You can email her at Carla at changemyrelationship.com. For more information on Change My Relationship and Carla Downing's ministry, including her books, studies, devotionals, podcasts, and YouTube videos, visit changemyrelationship.com. So I'd like to welcome you back to Change My Relationship podcast. And if you're new, then I'm excited to have you. I've got somebody here today that I think is going to be incredibly helpful because the issue that she's talking about has come up so many times, even in the prior testimonies of people and with the emails and responses and comments that I've gotten and questions. I think this is going to be great. So I have with me Michelle Jordan. Hi, Michelle. Hi there. And I'm going to give you a little bit of her amazing bio. I can't read it all because it's too much, but she is first and foremost a certified mediator. She is a family, individual, reunification, coaching, strategic divorce and mediation coaching. So she does coaching and she is a small group leader with Free to Love Again Divorce Recovery Workshop. And then she is also the impact campaign director, resource creator and ambassador campaign for a very important family documentary called A Racing Family. And we will tell you more about that at the end of our podcast, but she's going to be talking today to us about parental alienation that results in a raced family. So Michelle, I'm going to ask you to start off with giving us a definition of an erased family. Well, uh, what happens a lot of times in a divorce is uh, the child is basically manipulated into selecting one parent to uh, be with, to live with, and adapting the mindset of that parent and will actually turn around and reject a formerly healthy relationship that they had with their other parent. Um, it's uh, There's different terms for it. You'll hear the term parental alienation. That's sort of the most popular term. However, I, you know, when, when the film was made, the reason the director chose Erasing Family is because the term parental alienation automatically infers blame, and uh, blame and shame are at the root of this family trauma, and a child that hears that they've been alienated is going to completely push back from that definition because it means the parent that they have aligned with is bad. So the goal of, of this film was to identify how big of a problem it is without putting it in a context where the child would feel even more split um, in regards to being able to be in relationship with both parents. So the film focuses on the court, the adversarial court system, and how it inflames this family trauma. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more, I think, towards the end after they already have a, bitter, a better basis of what this okay. actually is and how it happens. So this stems around the mother-child, father-child bond. So explain to us why that is important. Well, your attachment system, everybody has an attachment system and there's different definitions of what types of attachment systems there are. 
uh, those are formed in your earliest childhood. So the time that you spend with your family or your uh, parents, um, how they respond to complex issues, you know, how they handle their own emotions, experiences in your life can also affect your attachment system. The attachment system, by the way, is your love and bonding system. It is the most important system in a person's mind, and it never spontaneously disrupts. It just doesn't. It's what God gave us to allow us to attach to our primary caretakers so that we didn't, you know, end up getting killed by wild animals. So it's, it's actually built in to never disrupt. And in fact, even with a child who has an abusive parent, they typically will not openly and hostilely reject that parent. The love and bonding system is still trying to create a way to, to connect and stay connected and attached to that parent. So it's only in this situation that the attachment system is disrupted and it happens through the other parents. Sometimes both parents have issues, but based on how their attachment system is and what skills they have, you know, what patterns of behavior they have is going to determine whether that child is going to be affected and to what depth they will be affected. So this is the attachment system that we're dealing with when in this situation. So basically what you're saying is that even a child that's literally even securely attached, in other words, has a great relationship with a parent, could literally be split from that parent by things the other parent does, usually during the divorce process. Or yes, divorce. It, and it actually happens very quickly. It's very shocking to the targeted parent because it's, it's like an overnight change in the behaviors of the child. And, you know, depending on the age of the child, there's different behaviors that will start to show up that will show that there's a, a warning sign that something is happening. And um, sometimes it's very overt controlling behaviors that are coming towards the parent and towards the child. And sometimes it's very covert, but the more covert it is, the harder it is to identify and undo. Yeah, covert meaning it's hidden, overt meaning it's out in the open and obvious. Ex exactly. So why would a parent who loves their child or children do something that would hurt the child that much and alienate a child from another parent, loving or, or as imperfect as that parent might be? That sounds like it's harmful for the child. So why would a caring parent do that? Well, typically a parent who does this is not aware and they're not in touch with the fact that their children have different needs than they do. So usually it's somebody with personality disorder. If you break it down a little bit more, it's really a lack of empathy, right? So if someone really has the disorder, they are not able to see things through anybody else's perspective, only their own. And they will be completely set on proving their point. So they'll lie a lot. They'll do things like gaslighting and twisting the truth, different things to maintain their control position. And they are not aware of the trauma that's happening to the child. So there's different reasons. Some of them, if they have borderline personality disorder, they're extremely afraid and they're used, they need that child to regulate their emotions. So they're not really conscious of the fact that they're using the child to make them feel safe and say, see, I'm the better parent. That parent was faulty. Align with me. So there's different ways it'll show up. If the parent who's doing the, the alienating behaviors is narcissistic, then typically that is a, a person with narcissism. Once a marriage ends, it can actually trigger an injury in them. 
in that they're not able to process their loss and their grief the way someone who utilizes all of their mind and brain and all those tools would process that. And so they go into a sort of a, a bitter, resentful, angry mindset, and they're not able to, to step outside of that. So they actually end up using the child as a weapon against the other parent. And again, they have no use for that parent any longer. So they cannot see that their child has a use and a, a, how important it is for that child to maintain relationship with the parent. They simply aren't able to see it in any other way. In the literature about this, it talks about targeted parent and favored parent. So what is the favored parent? First of all, define a favored and targeted parent, and then tell me what the favored parent does to the targeted parent. So I would rather instead than the favored parent call it the aligned parent. So the parent that, that they're aligning with is the parent that has some insecurities and, and they may not appear so on the outside, but this is why they're operating in this manner. So some of the, the techniques that they will use would be either to share details of the divorce with the child, to escalate things that happen that maybe aren't exactly the truth, but they will make it to where the other parent is all bad. There's no, you know, oh, well, she did this wrong, but she did this okay. It's all bad. So it's a, it's a splitting of thinking, all or nothing thinking. And so the, the, what will happen is the child, if it's an overt situation, I've had cases where the parent would literally get angry and punish the child if the child showed any love and affection towards the other parent when they went from house to house. So when they were with their parent who was doing the alienating behaviors, if they came home, for example, and said, I had a great time at dad's house, you know, we went to the park, we did this and that, the parent will either overtly try and change the story for the child and instill fear in the child, by the way, and start repeating these things that aren't true. So when you mix fear with things that aren't true and you continually put those thoughts into that child's head, and on top of that, parents who do this typically don't maintain their emotions. They don't have emotional boundaries and emotions are contagious. So if they're angry, if they're bitter, and that's always showing up, that child is actually absorbing those emotions without the capacity or even the development of their own brain to be able to recognize that their anger isn't mine. So the child will start to feel the same emotion that that parent is expressing or harboring. So there's a lot of different things that are happening underneath the surface. So there's fear. There's um, one of our biggest fears as human beings is that we'll be rejected. So a lot of parents will say, you know, your other parent never loved you. They left us. They, they had an affair. They, they're dangerous. You know, we hear that a lot. A lot of parents, it's not unusual for them to all of a sudden file false abuse charges and use that as a strategy to be able to um, get the upper hand in a custody battle. And then the more that they say this to the child and the more they act out in front of the child, the child is getting this message underneath that either my other parent doesn't love me, is unsafe, or is neglectful. You know, so there's just that narrative that's going on and being supported. And when the child starts to recognize that, remember, the child's just trying to survive in the environment they're in. So typically, a parent who's doing this also will not honor the parenting time agreement. So let's just say two parents went in and they had equal parenting time, which we already know is best for the kids. But that parent will sabotage those times with that parent, or he will make plans or she will make plans on the day that the child was to be with the other parent. And then if that parent says, well, wait a second, this is my time, they'll make that parent look like the bad guy, like they spoiled all the fun for the child. So there's innocent ways like that that look innocent. And then there's more 
you know, overt and aggressive ways of sabotaging it, scaring the child to where the child is afraid to show any sense of love to that parent. And then by isolating the child, right, all of a sudden this repetitive story and this repetitive emotions, on top of that, the child will be rewarded if the child says anything bad about the parent. So if, if for example, if the child went to the parent's house and went back to the alienating parent and they said, how was your time at dad's house? And the child said, oh, it was great. We, you know, we just went to the park. And then they said, hmm, they kind of give them a signal like, they're not happy to hear that. So they let the child know they're not, they're not gonna connect with them over that. And the child starts to realize that they almost need to, to say something for that parent. So they might say, well, they didn't have anything good to eat. All they had was junk food. So now all of a sudden the parent shows up all excited and oh my gosh, you know, that parent didn't have good food. They never feed you the right food and they almost reward the child for reporting in that manner. A lot of times they will get the child to spy on the other parent to look at their bank account statements. You know, I mean, they really can get completely over the top on using the child to continue to create this uh, drama against the other parent. So oh. these are some of the ways that they, they will use. There's some of the strategies that they will use. Yeah, and you mentioned this, and I just wanna elaborate a little bit more on it. Remember, children are going through their own trauma in the yes. divorce. And so, you know, we've talked about the attachment system of the parents and let's talk about the attachment system of the child who, if that child had a secure attachment to both parents or one parent more, the child's attachment is threatened. And so the child is grasping for how to become secure in this split home with these two people who are angry and preoccupied with their own pain. And the child is just figuring out how to fit in. And the children automatically, even with parents doing perfect divorces, already feels, who would I choose? Who do I choose? And unless children are really reinforced and told them, look, you don't have to choose. We both love you. We're both gonna have relationship with you. Let's work this out the best we can. Children are already automatically stuck in the middle and feeling like they wanna take sides. So when this is it, it um, increased deliberately by the parent trying to make the child take this, then it becomes very difficult for the child to resist it. Child is it's struggling. Right. It's very difficult. And, and we try and let the parents know who actually the parent that's being targeted is actually the favored parent. That's the safe parent. So the, the child deep down knows that that parent's going to love them and they can align with the other parent. They sort of take on an adult role to, to have to manage the emotions of one of their parents. So you're, you're dealing with all kinds of issues where the child is, is placed in a, in a parental space when they don't have their minds not developed yet and they don't have necessarily the skills to do that and yes they do feel split even like you said when it's perfect a child will always view that they did something to cause this or if i had done something if i had done a my parents would not have divorced and and when you're dealing with these high conflict situations already you've got the trauma of you know at least one of the parents having to be completely independent probably for the first time there's other issues that are going on besides the divorce itself it's really really scary for the kids and it's not un unusual for the parents to to just assume that the child knows better or you know would think the way they think and as you know that's not the case right. <laughs> so the children are definitely carrying the brunt of this they actually when two people divorce they may not be an intact family anymore, but they're still a family and they're connected by the child. The child is 
the connecting point of the family now, even though they're in separate homes. So when a child is placed in this position, it's highly stressful for the child and it's a trauma to the child. And again, that whole issue with the emotions, I like to bring that up because a lot of people don't realize how contagious emotions are. But I mean, if you walk in a, a restaurant, all of a sudden someone starts screaming and yelling, you're, you're initially going to feel the same kind of anger and fear that's coming out before you can discern that, hey, this wasn't about me. This is between these two. You know, the kids can't do that. So that emotion is so strong and heavy that the child's own belief system and thoughts are just completely covered up and they start to adapt these responses and it goes right into their trauma brain where fight, flight, or freeze. So when you are always being activated in that part of your brain, it's very hard to move into your critical thinking brain and start to say, wait a second, you know, this is between these two. Kids don't have that capacity unless their parents help them or a therapist or a family coach helps them. So what would the rejected parent or the alienated parent start seeing during the divorce? What signs from the child would okay. that person see to where it's like, uh-oh, something's going to be happening here. I've got to attend to this. Typically, um, upon the transition time, when the child's going from their house to the other parent or from the other parent to their house, that first day will be very difficult. The child will act out almost aggressively. It's not unusual for the children to start screaming and cursing at the parent, to run to their room and shut the door and refuse to talk to the parent. They might refuse to eat the meals with the parent. And it's very, very quickly becomes a very hostile environment. What's happening is the child, even if the parent is loving and kind, that will actually bring out what's called a protest behavior in the child. So kind of similar to what kids do in foster care. They come out of a dangerous household and they're placed with a safe home, but they're acting out in the safe home and they're, they're showing all this aggression because they have a grief response that's not being attended to. There's a grief response that's going on. And if you look at how we process grief, the first thing that we, we can get stuck in is anger right? When something's happening. And if we don't have the ability to process that and understand that we are safe, we don't have to choose, etc., then that anger is where they get stuck. And then another thing that will happen is the child, when the parent isn't these dangerous, bad things that the other parents said they were, and that they've come to become a, a strong belief system in their mind, something happens called cognitive dissonance, where they get extremely angry because the parent isn't so underneath that is, is fear and shame, right? Because the kids, like we talk to the kids later on, and that's the first thing they say is how ashamed they felt for how they treated and behaved in that parent's home. So, so a lot of these behaviors are actually protest behaviors and trauma and grief responses. They're not really meant to say, I hate you, mom and dad. You know, I mean, I've seen horrible things. I've seen kids write profanity on the walls at their parents' house. You know, I mean, just really, really scary stuff. I mean, people, the parents are usually completely shocked. So are their friends when they witness it. Usually they will run away. They'll run back to the other house. They'll call the parent the whole time or the parent is calling them the whole time they're there so that the, the targeted parent isn't really able to even have a, a time alone with that child. There's just always communication going back and forth. So these are some of the behaviors that a parent will experience. They can experience the kids screaming and yelling and cursing at them at school, refusing to allow them to come to their sporting activities, refusing to have them come to their graduation. I've had some kids 
turn and file restraining orders against their parents saying they stopped them, you know, it can be pretty brutal. It's quite shocking to the parent on the receiving end. Well, what can that parent do early on to intervene in a really safe and healthy and effective way to prevent this from getting worse? Well, the most important thing is because this is a trauma pathology, it's rooted, it gets its energy from the fight. So your natural instinct when someone says something not true about you is to defend yourself, to set the record straight, to prove that you're not this, that they've said, you know, whatever. That actually gives fuel to the false story. So that's a false narrative. It, and I, I, I tell people to think of it in that manner so they're not so angry at their ex, right? To recognize that they just don't have the tools. So what you have to do first and foremost is you have to, to take care of your own stuff, right? You've got to clean up your judgments. You've got to clean up how you respond. And most importantly, you have to do the opposite of what you're going to want to do. So instead of fighting, you need to show empathy, attention, show respect, even when you're not being respected. If you don't do that, you're going to engage in arguing with a false narrative, which gives it its life. So well, when the other thing is you're showing the child that you are who the other parent says you are. If you're exactly arguing and getting angry, trying to control the child and tell the child that's not me, the other parents like that parent's crazy, and you're like, yeah, look, you're crazy. Exactly, and you're if crazy, you fall, you and you, yeah, and I mean, everybody looks crazy when they get a divorce because they're going through their natural defensive modes and their breakdowns and things. But you're right, you're absolutely correct. The, the more that you try and fight it, you actually start to look like exactly what they're claiming you are. And that's where you get the misconception that both parents are doing this. Like Kramer versus Kramer, that was an old movie, but it was showing you, you know, how bad a divorce can be going through court. You did have two parents that were fighting like crazy. So sometimes you do. But typically in these cases, you have a good enough parent and you have a parent who's got personality disorder or mental illness that is utilizing these strategies and behaviors because they've not learned other behaviors yet. And it works for them too. So for that parent, yes, staying calm, get the support you need. If you need a counselor, work with a counselor, working with coaching, learning these skills, how to maintain and manage your emotions, how to manage your expectations, not expecting the other parent to think and see things the way you do, right? Because it's just, it, you're going to, bang your head against a wall because they just won't. So accepting who they are and instead of trying to be right, it's better to try and be rightly related to that parent. It's try, try and be kind no matter what. Take the high road, acknowledge their discomfort. That doesn't mean that you, you know, have to say that what they're saying is true if it's not, but you also don't have to defend it. So learning what your choices are to say, like you can say yes to whatever they say. You can say no. You can say, I see you're really upset. Let me think about that. I'll get back with you, right? Or you can say nothing. If it's just a flat out insult and attack, you don't have to say anything, right? You can just hang up the phone or walk away. If you're engaged in any kind of interaction with that parent, you want to always try and build a bridge and don't stay so focused on proving the truth because that won't work. Just won't. Because the, the truth doesn't work for those people who are not able to self-reflect or don't have empathy. They will continually manipulate the truth for their story to win so they can win at all costs. There was an old Jimmy Buffett song that said, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Okay. 
it, it, it kind of takes the, it, it makes it a little lighter. It's not, first of all, it's, it's very stressful and distressful to be in a, in a relationship like this. So I'm not trying to downplay it, but if you start to look at it a little differently, change your viewpoint of it and your judgment of it and recognize that that parent does not have the ability to engage the part of their brain that would help them be reasonable and process all the emotions that are there hiding under their surface. Right. And when you recognize that, I, I will tell parents, rather than be angry, imagine if they were paralyzed and they were sitting in a wheelchair and they can't get up and walk across the room, no matter how much you want them to. And it's not going to happen. There's no connection there between their brain and those nerve endings in their legs. So similar to what's happening with parents who have this type of thinking disorder is that it, they are not connected. They live in their reactive brain and now they can learn skills it depends there's levels that's why it's so important to try and keep your family in a therapeutic setting stay stay away from court if at all possible the well, main issue yeah, we can yeah. talk about court in a second sure i want to clarify something that you just said you know you we kind of shifted and we were talking for those that are listening into what you're going through as a person who is getting a divorce and it's rough and i have seen a lot of people going through divorce as you have who can barely even have room to consider the children because yes. they are feeling they're dealing with so much rejection so much pain so much fear so much anxiety just the it, when you're dealing with a narcissistic or high conflict personality divorcing that person mm -hmm. that person is absolutely the most difficult type of person to get a divorce from so they're pulling all kinds of things with you know the divorce and they're making threats and they're you know doing all these different things and so you're exactly. just like and one of the most important thing i think i tell people who are going through a divorce is at the very beginning i want you to get a different mindset you have been married to this person and you have spent years and hours and hours and hours trying to get this person to understand your thinking and your way of viewing things so you can have reconciliation to whatever it is that's going on you've got to give that up in a divorce yes. you're divorcing give up your dream and your hope and your wish of your soon-to-be ex-spouse ever seeing and understanding your side of the story give it up you will yes. save yourself a whole lot of pain and emotional energy if you accept that that is not going to happen and man that is painful because along with that you've got to accept that friends and relatives are going to not know the story your ex, your in-laws might never know the story they might walk away thinking you're a horrible person you've just got to say i cannot make it my goal to make right. everyone understand including my ex-spouse so right. by accepting that and by keeping your emotions down, which I think for most people requires a therapist during divorce, it's too painful. And also divorce recovery is super yes. important because you're with other people, you have a support system, you can right. process a lot of those emotions, you find out what's normal, you find out I'm not crazy, these stages and feelings and thoughts are all normal. Uh, how are the courts at fault? Well, the court is an adversarial system. It's meant to have a winner and a loser. And family court, even though it's under the preface of the best interest of the child, it has not placed itself in a position to be able to direct these families where they should go. Certainly, you know, you wouldn't send a burn victim into a house on fire. You just wouldn't, because you, you want to cure that person's burn wounds first, right? So in this situation, when these broken families appear in the court system, 
first of all, if there's a custody battle, there's personality disorder or mental illness. No sane person is gonna to go to a bunch of strangers and depend on those strangers to make the decision, the most important decisions about where their child's gonna live, you know, how they're gonna interact as a family. If you end up in court, that's a, a red flag right there. The court also, because each party is hiring an attorney to represent them, they're looking for one to win and one to lose. So the, the whole focus becomes who's the worst parent, right? What, how many bad things can I say about the other parent so that I look like the best parent, I get the most time with my child, et cetera. So there's a whole control issue going on there. And the court escalates that. A, they're not mental health specialists. They're not trained. Now they, they are starting to change. So for example, in Orange County, the mediators that the Orange County Family Court employs all have uh, mental health backgrounds. So they are able to start to be able to identify some of these behaviors. But the truth of the matter is the courts are so backed up. The judges do not have time to read the, you know, 5,000 pages of he said, she said documentation that comes back and forth. What they typically do is try and find someone else to do the deep dive, look into it and bring them the answer. So now not only are you dependent on the judge making the proper ruling, but they might send you to someone like a forensic psychologist, which is a whole nother nightmare. Forensic psychologists are actually the representative of the court. So parents go to these forensic psychologists to have what's called a 730 evaluation. They're gonna evaluate the parenting skills and the personalities of each parent to determine who's the better parent, which is insane. Why would you do that? Why do you wanna remove it? Every, everyone in mental health knows that the child's attachment system is very important and that relationship is so important for the child with each parent. So why would you go in there when the, and the role of that forensic psychologist is not to diagnose, which is another insane thing. Why would you bring a family in here and not diagnose what's underneath this and make a treatment recommendation so that they could help each parent be the best parent they could be? That would be the smart thing to do. That would be the human, humanitarian thing to do <laughs> would be to say, wow, we recognize there's trauma here. Let's diagnose them. And then let's make a treatment plan recommendation. Instead, they go in and try and bring, you know, figure out who's the best one and who's not going to get to see the child or who's going to see the child in a limited capacity or even worse, who's going to see the child under supervised visitation. And in those situations, that alone is telling the child that the other parent's a danger. So um, highly, highly destructive to the families. And the other issue is you can't get your case heard quickly. These alienation cases, the part of the reason that they get so deeply entrenched is it can take years to get before the court. Doesn't matter how much evidence you have that the attorneys employ strategies to delay. Let me tell you this year with COVID, the courts were shut down for a period of time, a long period of time. Everybody's cases got kicked out. The escalation of the, the stress of these families was tenfold, you know, because you're, not, you're already dealing with the stress of your family situation. Now you got to deal with the stress of, did I put the right information in? Oh my gosh, they put all these lies about me in front of the court. Now I got to spend three months proving that none of this is true. And the amount of time and pressure on, a, on any party who's going through this is outrageous. It's like having another job. So not only are you dealing with your new single life, the trauma with your child, now you've got this extra just mounds of legal paperwork that's highly intimidating. And let's not forget about the cost. So the average cost for a custody battle 
in Orange County could be as high as 250,000. I've known some people who've spent up to a million. And the, the courts will allow this to go on for years. As long as there's money, they'll keep you in the circle, right? And then once the money's gone, all of a sudden you're kicked to the curb, figure it out yourself, right? And you've got these just families that started out broken that are just obliterated. So uh, court is not the, the place to go. Uh, you want to start with a therapist and a family coaches are great for these situations. Uh, most people who have personality disorders do not do therapy. You probably know that. You usually won't see them in a course like what you hold because that requires um, doing deep work and getting in touch with your true self and self-reflection and all the things that they don't do. If they do come to therapy, what happens is they often charm the therapist yes or yes the judge or charm the mediator or the forensic psychologist and then the other spouse is, is victimized by that too so exactly have people that are very trained to recognize all of this to even recognize that charming behavior and that pretending of i'm going to do all these things that you say and thank right. you so much and all of that and recognize that that can even be part of the pattern that they're yes. choosing to manipulate the system and alienate the other person. Absolutely. So, really, you've got to have people that are really trained and yes. that route of forensic psychologist and then to the court. The mediators, if they're getting better, that's really good, but it's still hard for them too. Well, you have to have two parties that want a, a positive whole family outcome. And in these cases, mediation won't work because you have one party that is not going to mediate or settle no matter what. So that's why court, you know, staying away from court, if, if, if at all possible, sometimes you don't have a choice. And if you do end up in court, you need to work with someone who's uh, able to help keep you stable and strategic. So you're not using your attorney as your therapist because they're very expensive and um, somebody that can help you with your paperwork and getting things ready. So you're not having to constantly call on the attorney to keep your costs down. But anyway, that's a whole nother story that most importantly is just knowing that that is not the place to this out. So if there's any chance to work with a combination of a coach and a therapist, those typically work best for these families. Yeah. And a collabor collaborator or a mediator attorney where one attorney represents the whole family, you have to go with an attorney because sometimes people do. That's better. But like you said, as long as you're working with a therapist together at the same right. time, there is a, a therapist that uh, my daughter used to see who really was an amazing therapist. And she went into becoming a therapist who solely works with couples who come in to try to figure out the best custody arrangement for their child. So they're doing exactly what you said. They're saying, yeah. we want what's best for our child. We want to do this amicably. Let's do it. But the problem is that high conflict personality person, the narcissist, the borderline right. is not going to go into that therapist. So that's where it gets really sticky. But let's move back to the erased family. Uh, we're sure. going to be giving you the information about the movie, which I just watched last night and is absolutely fantastic. So we'll give you more information about that. But I'm going to have an interview that's going to follow this from with two young women who were in erased families, and they'll tell you about their experience. But I want you to define what is the erased family members? What are they going through? Okay, so the child, first of all, they're having their thinking system completely hijacked their belief system how they view the world is completely being taken over by that other parent and what they typically experience is a deep sense of inner woundedness they don't trust 
people. They have a heart. They, a lot of them have anxiety. You'll see self-harming, eating disorders. Those are all signs of, or addiction, addictive behaviors are all signs of not being able to cope with the stress of what's happening. And also not being able to know what's real. You know, what, what do I really feel or believe because they've, they've just had the, these other belief systems completely overtake the, their budding, you know, growing mind. And so it's really hard for them to be real and be whole. What we find with the adults who finally at one point recognize what occurred is that initially, typically they're very angry with the parent that did this to them. And they actually, they might estrange from that parent. They might act out and not necessarily 100% understand what happened. But what they go through at that point usually is anger at the parent that manipulated them and then a deep, deep guilt and grief over what they did to their other parent and how much they lost that they can't get back. Because you're talking about sometimes it can be decades before these children finally wake up and realize what happened and that they can go back and love their parent. A lot of complex trauma and complex emotions that they have to work through. It's not unusual. It's actually very common for that child to grow up and either end up becoming an alienated parent, meaning their child, the same thing happens with their children, which is a lot of times that's how these parents wake up to what happened for these kids. They wake up when it happens to them. Or they may go into the narcissistic side and they may end up doing the same thing to their own children. So it's very generational. We have a couple of people that you're going to talk to. They're going to tell you what their experience was like to go through this. Everyone is different. Depends on how much time you spent. Some kids, their parents never got married, for example. And the child was raised by one parent and the other parent spent years trying to be in that child's life. So they really never developed their initial attachment to that parent, but they still had a desire to know that parent. Others were completely close with both parents, then all of a sudden manipulated to reject and hate a parent and didn't see them for years. Those are usually the ones that are the most traumatized because they really had to bury so much of their own love and belief. So it's a deep damage to their core. What we tell these people is it's okay to still love both parents. That's the first thing we say. I, I always use the term, you can love around your parents' faults. We're all human beings. And I like with these kids, I like to show them a little bit about the brain and how it works, how we are formed as children into adults. And do we have the skills? Do we have the ability to have the skills? We may not. And so when we do that, we can look at it more objectively as a child and not take it personally that there's something innately wrong with us or we can never trust anyone when in fact, most of that behavior had nothing to do with the child. And once the child understands that, and, and they, like I said, they still want to love even their parent who did this to them, even when they're angry and don't speak to them for a few years after figuring it out, they want to figure out how to. And the relationship will change between them and that parent. Because once that parent knows that you know the truth, and this is how typically people with personality disorder operate, whether it's the child or a friend or a family member, once you've figured out that person, they know that they're not going to get that supply from you anymore and you're not going to be manipulated. So it's not uncommon for those parents to kick that child out of their life to all of a sudden say, I don't want to see you anymore. And then they have to play the role of the scapegoat, right? After being the favored golden child, all of a sudden they become a scapegoat. That's very, very damaging to that child. So again, depending on the parent's attachment system and how they do life is how that child is going to be treated once the truth comes out. So you can see how hard it is 
and how unmotivated these kids can be to, to really look at it and figure it out. It's, it's very scary. One question I get all the time from the parent who is cut off from the alienated parent is uh -huh. when my child has cut me off and told me they don't want to have anything to do with me, do I keep trying? And yeah. if I do, how? What would you say? Well, first of all, it depends on the age of the child, but this is child abuse. So, you know, just because you, their child's not coming home with cigarette burns, to just give up on the child because it's too painful for you, it's everybody's individual choice, but I would say no. Utilize the skills that we talked about while they're still young and when you are around them, you always want to connect with your child. Don't try and keep set the record straight. Connect before you correct them. So kind of like how you raise teenagers, even under perfect circumstances, right? You want to do that. You always want to make the connection. You want to encourage them to use their critical thinking brain and, and let them feel safe. You be the safe harbor of their upset emotions. Don't make it the other way around. And don't take it personally. That's really important. That's why we work with those parents on triggers and things like that, how to manage their own emotions and how not to take things personally. We work on, you know, deep judgments that you might have that, all of a sudden come out then help once you process all that you're able to be in, in front of a child that's acting out without being offended or hurt so yes anyone who you talk to who works in this field will tell you to regularly send loving messages to your child don't overdo it go to their events but don't run over and try and hug them at the event just let them know that you were there you might send them a text with a, a photograph for example saying hey i was at your your game yesterday I got this great picture of you. I'm so proud of you, son. Good job. Not, I love you. I miss you. I must have you. I must, because that's triggering the guilt in them. Yeah. And they have something called cognitive dissonance. So the more you say, I love you, I love you, I love you, that child is going to push back. So you really want to make it always about them and encourage them about how's your school? What's your favorite class? Keep it light. You might find, like, for example, if they love Horses, you might want to just send them a, little, a cute little video about a horse or a little YouTube short video. Hey, I saw this and thought about you today. So those are ways to stay connected with your child. And then, yes, give them gifts. You know, even if they, they never say thank you. We talk to these kids later and they're actually very grateful that their parent always stayed in touch. They do say that later on. Wow. So, and then a really important thing too is to not try to equal the playing field by putting down the other parent. Because absolutely. Yourself just as bad as that person. Tempting it is. Don't. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's tempting to want to set the record straight. But for example, what you could say is, oh, that must have been so awful for you to believe that all these years. Right. So now you're not defending it because again, that's going to make, it's going to put you back in that defense position, which makes that child believe that, you know, there's still a fight going on. So what you want to say is always make it about them and just say, it must have been really awful for you. I'm so sorry you had to go through that, right? Those are empathetic, compassionate responses without trying to set the record straight. Kids actually figure it out. They're actually smarter than we think. They do. And, and it takes a while. That's the hard part. It could take Yes, it can. Reunification. What what would make a child all of a sudden say, um, I, I just want to know this other parent. I'm going to reject all these things I've been told, and maybe I'm 18 now or I'm 16, and all of a sudden I'm going to tell my mom, no, I because I've seen this happen. I want to go live with dad. You're like, what? Why would you want to do that? You know, it's like I, I'm living. I want to go live with dad. Dad's not been in the life. It's just his kids all of a sudden desire, or maybe it will happen in the 20s. What prompts that in the child? 
You know, everybody's different, so I can't give you a blanket answer for that. It could be that the parent is starting to show their pathological behaviors towards that child now that the other parent's out of the picture. That child becomes the target of that pathology, and, and so things aren't feeling good, and so they might want to escape over to the other parents. Sometimes something really bad might happen in their life, and all of a sudden they want to run and get a hug from that parent. And I've seen that happen where they all of a sudden they show up after not being there for a couple of years. They get loved on and, and then they disappear again and they don't come back. So it's not always a spontaneous comeback. And so I, I, you know, one of the things, the fallacies is that, oh, your children will grow up and get over it. That's actually not true in most of these cases for the more severe cases. It, they can be in their, I've had people in their 60s figure it out after seeing this film. In fact, we've even had, sometimes when we were doing the pre-screenings with professionals, we've had some professionals who work in the field after they saw that film say, oh my God, I think this happened to me. And they work in the field and they didn't. So it can be super deep, deeply buried and deep rooted. So it's not always spontaneous when it is. I love to hear the stories. I love to hear, oh my God, oh my God, my, my kid just reached out to me. He wants to come live with me. And I, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> I said, just welcome them back and act like they never left, you know? Say, what kind of food would you like? You want to go to the store and get some stuff? You know, just keep it light. That's the most important thing is keep it light. Let them lead. They may never ask you what happened. They may never want to hear the truth. You're not the one to give it to them. Now, if they come to you and they say, look, I saw this court paper and I didn't know this. If it's comfortable for them and they want to bring it up or you're with the counselor and they bring it up first, it's okay. But allow them to lead on that because if you try and give them the, the answer so that you can prove to them that you never deserted them or that you were ever dangerous or harmful, it can backfire and it could cost you, you know, another year or two before they feel safe enough to come back and try. What resources are available for these hurting parents that are not seeing their children? I get that question Ooh. all the time too. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a tough one. So the course that you do, that's one as far as just learning how to make the best of your situation. I try and tell parents that, you know, everybody, everybody has a story. We all are going to face a hardship in our life of some sort. It might be that God forbid a child dies or we get cancer or a family member gets, nobody's immune to pain. In those circumstances, for me personally, would be to say, okay, God, show me what I can do with this mess that is going to be helpful to other people. The cool thing about our brains is when we are hurt, we have trauma to our brain, the natural way to heal that is to actually go out and show love in some capacity. So you might go and find a place to advocate, go volunteer somewhere. And believe me, parents hate when someone says this at first, like, oh, go take care of the, the crying babies at the hospital that come in that need to be cuddled and this and that. And they're like, no, I want to fix my, you know, you don't want to hear saying, go do this. But in fact, it actually does heal your brain because you're going and you're giving love to someone else in need. And it takes your mind off of this spin cycle of what you've been through, that trauma being relived and relived. And then when you go out and you serve others or you love on others, or maybe you've got a niece and a nephew who need your love or who are inviting it, focus your parenting tendencies on that child that's your niece or nephew. Be supportive in that role. And guess what? You can also use this time to improve your life. So when your kids come back, you're healthy. Maybe you never worked before. Go to start taking some college courses, get a better job, you know, look at the downtime. In fact, one thing a parent told me a long time ago, which really stuck with me, and I thought it was great advice, is she said, you know, 100 years ago or 150 years ago, 
kids were married by the time they were 14. They were married and out of your house. So your, your empty nesting started a lot earlier. So rather than create this story in your mind, you can rewrite your story and say, this is a temporary situation. My child is you know, doing these things, but they're always there for me. So make your life the best it can be. Use the time, give yourself permission to have fun. That's the hardest thing when you're missing your child is to give yourself permission to enjoy your life and have fun because you're grieving. And this is something I, I talk to these parents and there's not a day that goes by that a parent is not thinking of their child. It could be years, decades, etc. So it's something that you live with that you also say, you know, it's not going to define my life right now. And I am going to go out and I'm going to bless others, you know, as we work through this situation. So those are just different things that you can do. So describe the project behind the movie Erasing Family and also how people can, and I will put a link in the notes for the show as to how, and, and you're free, I'm going to put Michelle's email and I'll put the yeah. website for Erasing Family. Sure. Is it right if I put your email? Yeah, just the impact at erasingfamily.org is the best way to reach me about the film. What about coaching? Are you... For the coaching, it would be the, it's, I'll give you that email later and you can put it on your um, podcast. Tell us about the movie and then your sure. goals behind the movie and what you're doing. Okay. So the movie is great because it focuses on families where they were actually in, in most of those cases, they were able to talk to the majority of the family members. So you really got to see the perspective from each parent. These are not the most severe cases that we've ever seen. I've had a lot of parents who were targeted see this and say, this is nothing compared to my story. I've got the worst story. Typically, no, you don't. The worst story is when the parent murders the child or the parent, you know, there was recently a case where a dad got the child to murder their, her mother with him. I mean, that was all over 2020. It, it, it's horrible. But first of all, getting families to come on screen and be filmed with this type of trauma is horribly difficult. No one wants to talk about it. Even when you're not the person in the middle of it, no one likes to talk about divorce. They just don't want to. Right. It's an ugly subject. So making this film, the woman, by the way, Ginger Gentile, who's the director, she was an alienated child. This is what inspired her to make this film. And she didn't figure it out until she was with a man who was being alienated from his child. And that's when she started helping with this court case. She started recognizing, wait, I think this happened to me. So that's how she woke up from that. And she made this film. This is her second film, by the way. The purpose of the film, the main purpose, was to, to be utilized as a teaching tool for the family court system and the mental health practitioners who claim that parental alienation is not real because they can't agree on how to diagnose it. It's real. It's th there's over 20 million families that are affected by this. So you can't say it's not happening. It's just that they haven't come to an agreement on what to call it, but it is real. That It was twofold. One was to be able to use as an educational piece to show you what these children are going through. Also, as you know, when people see other people's stories and recognize that that's what's happening with them, they don't feel so faulty. All of a sudden, they don't feel so bad inside. In fact, a few children who came and saw the film when we were doing the pre-screenings actually came up to me and said, I cannot believe it. Why has no one helped our family? I finally understand it. Like, it's such a relief for the child to recognize that they didn't do anything wrong and they see how messed up the court system and especially a lot of mental health practitioners are totally getting it wrong. And they, they were able to see that from watching the film 
and it relieved them. They were relieved because they felt like now I can love both my parents. It's going to be awkward and uncomfortable, but at least I think I can do it. So that's why we made the film. It was made was to reach the kids first and foremost, because there's no other resources. There's a handful, but not the kind that a child would see versus a film that they would maybe look and watch one day. The other thing is by creating the film, the the mental health field, the legal field can see the long-term damage and lose that made up story that these kids will just grow up and get over it. Right. And they'll start to hopefully understand and recognize that fighting is not the place for these families. They need to move them into a therapeutic setting, move them into a clinical psychologist's office to be diagnosed. Don't pit them against each other. Help them find out what's happening and find solutions. With the film, we have it available now on all the different platforms. So you can stream it for free on Tubi. But you have to watch a lot of ads <laughs> or you can watch it on Amazon. It's $9.99 on Amazon, on YouTube. There's different platforms now. You can go to the website, which is www.erasingfamily.com. Go to the website and you'll see where the links are. We also have a Facebook page. We also have a text line. This is the first time we've ever done this. It's a text line where you can text and you'll either get a family coach. It might be a therapist. It might be a pastor but it's people that will be able to offer you emotional support. It's not legal advice or mental health advice. It's just emotional support. And then they will point you to the resources that we have on our website. So and see if it's the child that's being put in the middle. Whether it's the child or the parents, anyone can call and be directed to the resources. The text line is 1-865, the number four, family. So we tried to make it easy so anyone can text that line and it's available. I believe it's 9 a.m. until 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I think we had to do it on Eastern Standard Time. And that link but is on your website also. It's on our website. You'll see it a lot on our social media posts on our Facebook page or Instagram. If you don't hear back from someone right away, it, it might be outside the hours or they might be with someone else, but give them time to get back in touch. It's not a phone call line, so please don't call the line. It's just for texting. And we are always updating our resource page. We try and refer them to programs like yours or like the Free to Love Again Divorce Recovery Workshop. We try and send them to places that are affordable where they can get assistance and help before they get into the deep nightmare of court. And if they're in that, we'll, we'll send them different places as well. We don't really refer people to you know, specific attorneys. There's like two volunteers. <laughs> this is a volunteer project and we all have full-time jobs. So we do what we can and we provide these resources and we're in the process right now of creating many interviews with uh, formerly alienated children that are now adults and how wonderful their relationship is now with their parents. And we're, we're getting a few people to tell their story. And so we're trying to just create a few of those video resources. We're also going to be interviewing some attorneys and putting that on our page, our website page. But we already have several videos that you can watch where we did test screenings and we interviewed some adult children who had recovered from alienation. We interviewed therapists and all kinds of people. So those resources are always there. And that's basically what I've been doing is trying to create that program so that we have sounds to me like there are resources and so people there are. have to feel like they're all alone um, very important when you're going through anything very difficult to know that you are not the only one other people are going through this they have survived they are okay they're on the other right. side of it like you said they've right. learned to live they've learned to accept we're going to give all of those again 
maybe we'll do another interview with Michelle uh, in the future. If you guys got good questions that you want her to come back and answer and please reach out at these resources through the, her website, uh, the website and all of these things are additional information that you can have and additional support. So I'd like to thank you, Michelle. Thank you for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. I hope that it will trigger oh, a whole bunch of people, especially children, to want to be reunified with their families. That gives me goosebumps to even think about it. So. Oh, I mean, that is our ultimate goal is to see these families reunite. We are just so excited for that to happen and we want to hear the story. So anyone who does reunite over this, please contact us and let us know. Thank you for listening to this interview on Change My Relationship. We hope you will subscribe to these podcasts and share them with your friends. Carla would love to hear from you. She welcomes ideas for future podcasts as well as your feedback on how the podcasts have helped your life and relationships. You can email her at carla at changemyrelationship.com. For more information on Change My Relationship and Carla Downing's ministry, including her books, studies, devotionals, podcasts, and YouTube videos, visit changemyrelationship.com.